we'll need to continue to keep praying. There's lots more that, uh, that needs to be brought before the throne. I was uh, challenged this weekend. We went to Promise Keepers in, in uh, Cedar Falls, and Bill McCartney, one of the founders of, of Promise Keepers, gave an excellent talk, and one of the things he talked about was the need for prayer. Pray, pray, pray. Uh, and then, of course, the Word, and then involvement with the body of Christ as, as key points for development and growth in every believer's life. And uh, pretty exciting. One of the things that was kind of neat, that didn't, we didn't understand this when he started talking, but he, uh, he was praying that there would be a good response to the message that he gave. And um, at the end of his talk, he, uh, he said, now I'm going to ask those of you who are willing to commit to reading your Bible and praying every day from now on, if you would stand. And he hardly got the words out of his mouth, and the entire 5,000 group of men stood to their feet. And, you know, the, the, whoo, I'm still getting them. It was kind of cool. Just, whoa. And he was flabbergasted. He was stunned. In fact, they referred to it several times afterward as, wow. Wow, God was at work. But it was an answer to his prayer. And that's kind of cool. And we need to be people who pray big. Because um, without that, you know, we're going to struggle, struggle, struggle. So pray in the Word and Involvement in the church, which is really what um, ta-da, discipleship is all about. Benji started us out a couple weeks ago with Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The key verb as I understand it in the Great Commission, is make disciples. Would you agree? Go make disciples. That includes baptism. And that presupposes salvation. To baptize means to overflow, overwhelm, uh, completely immerse in a fluid. That's what the Greek word is all about. It's always associated with conversion. It's an act of obedience which immediately follows salvation. And, and as, as you see the pattern in the New Testament, it was probably the first demonstration of the fruit of salvation in a person's life. We have a young person who wants to be baptized. We're going to arrange that in a couple of weeks. My hope is that my challenge this morning that the Word of God would speak to your heart. Should I go back? baptizing them, my hope, my prayer, is that if you are here as a believer in Jesus and have not been baptized, that you will step forward and say, it's time. It's time. We talked about that last week. I won't bug you anymore, but we're making it available. There will be a baptism in a couple of weeks. We'll do another one in a month if we need to. But you need to step forward and tell us, I need to be baptized. Okay? If you're a believer in Jesus and have not been immersed in a fluid, and we usually think of water, well, I guess we could do it in oil, but we'll go with water. Immersed in, in a fluid, brought back out of the water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, then you need to do that as an act of obedience, okay? The next thing it says is to teach them to observe. Teach them to stand back and just look at the things the commands that Christ has given, right? Isn't that what it means? Just, just 
look at them and say, isn't that interesting? Is that what Jesus meant when He said, I want you to observe the things that I've commanded you? Look at them through maybe a binoculars or under a microscope. You all in agreement with me on this? I hope not. What did He mean when He said, observe those things? What, Katrina? Do them. That's right. Teach them to do them. All the things that I've commanded you. Certainly, that would include the things that Jesus said specifically. And then he passed that torch on to his apostles and has given us the New Testament with all their writings so that we have plenty of ammunition when it comes to what are we supposed to learn? What are we supposed to observe? Webster says, A disciple is a follower, a learner. And then I underline this, and one who accepts and assists in the spreading of the doctrines of another. In this case, it would be the doctrines of Jesus Christ and His apostles. But do you see what that underline says? Discipleship, being a disciple, not only involves in me learning and doing, but teaching others to do. And so it gets passed on. Uh, All all these um, babies around here, it's so fun to look out there and see baby after baby after baby. How much teaching, how much learning is going to go on in their lives in the next 20 years? Can you imagine all the work that has to be done? And you know, as parents, you just do it. You think, of course. There are parents who throw their kids in the trash can, right? We would not accept that, but we, we know that's happened. There are parents who think, let the school district raise them. We, we hope that no one here would accept that. Our challenge is that we need to be very involved in the growth and development of these babies in the, in the physical realm, and it's exactly the same in the spiritual realm. The body needs to reproduce itself. Now, let me be careful, because that sounds like it's something I do. It's a work of God, the Holy Spirit, this whole reproduction process, and the whole growth process, and the passing on to the next generation. So when I'm talking about discipleship, I'm I'm acknowledging that the underlying principle is that it's a work of the Holy Spirit. But it's clear from what Jesus said that He wants you involved in it. Is that making sense? You go. You make disciples. Some say, well, it was only the apostles. That was a specific command to the apostles and it no longer applies to our day. Think that one through. How long would the church have lasted? One generation. One generation. If that was not a command that was passed on to the entire body of Christ for all the history of the church while we're still on earth, there would only have been one generation of Christianity. And then it would... No, this is for us. And, and, and you know, I'm not smart enough to argue with the guys that say it wasn't for us, but um, at least it makes enough sense for me to say, eh, I guess I better move ahead. had a visit with Scott this last week, and, and we, we were talking about some of the discouragements and some of the willingness that we have to say, oh, I'm just going to hand it up. I'm going to throw it in. And, and Scott, Scott said, but you can't do that. Why not, Scott? Because it's the most important work there is in the world. 
There is no job bigger or greater than making disciples. A disciple lives a disciplined life. To discipline means training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental and moral characters. Say, Leverance, did you make that? No, that, that's all from the dictionary. Okay, so you know, if Webster said it, it's got to be true. Here's what the Word of God says. I used to wander off until you trained and corrected and molded and perfected my mental and moral character. Now I closely follow your Word. Discipleship, discipline. Uh, we've talked about this. Again, this is a lot of review, but I, I feel it's important to pull it all together today. has many facets. Um, some people think of discipline only as, as punishment, right? Absolutely not. Remove that from your thinking. If there is a punishment phase, and I believe there is, in discipline, it is the last step. It's the last thing, and it's, it's minute in comparison to the rest of what discipline, discipleship is all about. I think there's a biblical model that we can look at, and I want to do this quickly again. I've mentioned it, but I want to push it forward again. Okay? Training. You have to start with training. There's no basis for action without training. You want your kids to pick up their socks? You can't just assume that they'll figure that out. You need to train them. Training means that we show them what to do. We do it ourselves by example a few times. We encourage them to get involved. We point out what the consequences are. If, if we, there was a... Who are we talking to, Jason, that talked about that apartment where they went in and, and it was stacked full of clothes? Who was that? His brother down in, uh, in Oklahoma City has some apartments. And, and one of the apartments he went into after the folks moved out, how deep would you say? Waist high of dirty clothes, junk, and there was a little path that you could walk through to get in and out of the rooms. It would be good to take a picture of that and show your kids. Now this is what happens if you don't pick up your socks. Right? I mean, I can't even picture that, but there are consequences. And so we tell them about that. It's all part of the package. Okay? Um, do you... Anybody ever watch Hoarders? I think it's called Hoarders, Extreme Hoarders or something. Oh, if Don't watch that before you eat. <laughs> Especially the ones where there's cats. Again, no offense, Sam, Ollie, no offense on cats. Unbelievable. <laughs> I was watching it last week and this lady went in to clean it up and she goes into one corner and she comes out going, <laughs> I could relate, I, that's me. That's what happens if you don't train your kids to pick up their socks. See, I warned you. <laughs> training. There has to be some aspect of training. And that's what Jesus meant when he said make disciples. Teach them. Teach them. And again, there's an example of Christ, his sermon on the mount and so on. We won't belabor it. I love this part of it. Praise. I really think that praise is one of the more important parts of, of the whole discipleship process. Now, I know that I have the gift of encouragement. That's one of my spiritual gifts. And so maybe that's why I like this one so much. 
But I watch what happens in people's lives when they get a little bit of praise. And it's just like what happens after my flowers on the, on the back deck have sat there for four days in the sun. And you come out, and they're like this. And you come out with a little water, a little praise. And you pour it on those babies. And within 20 minutes, they're up smiling at you again. Praise is a good thing. Um, the example that I have is Christ. Uh, talks to Peter. Um, okay, we'll go through this quickly. Um, research. And this is not necessarily biblical research. This is from my psychology class about 100 years ago. Okay, um, It takes about 10 positive reinforcers to balance one negative. And so if the kid isn't picking up his socks and I say, you little scumbag, get those socks picked up! That's going to last for quite a while. It'll take me, and I'll, I'll tell you who I'm referring to. Benji, you did a really nice job on that this time. Okay, do you remember the scumbag, Benji? Uh, see, that's forgotten because I gave 11 positive <laughs> to Benji. Praise, it's a wonderful thing, okay? Um, this seems to be a forgotten practice among us as church leaders. We'll let you go on and do wonderful things for weeks and weeks and weeks and then you do something that's a little out of the ordinary or a little off the beaten path and we'll jump all over you for it. Okay? I know some of you have experienced that. That's wrong. Parents need to be aware of this with their kids. If there really is a 10 to 1, I don't, you know, it doesn't say that in the Bible so I don't know if you're going to buy it or not. But, but if there really is that kind of a thing, parents... We need to be so careful about removing the acid from our tongues and having sugar there in its place. Right? Youth workers, it may be the key that you need to win the heart of of a young person. They're not used to hearing praise. They don't get it from their peers. They get made fun of. They get sarcastic remarks. Okay, They probably aren't getting it from a lot of their instructors and, and adult supervisors. Um, where are they going to get it? Maybe from you. And I believe it's going to go a long ways. Okay? Now those are the two exciting... Oh, be careful. Oh, Scripture warns in many places about false praise, about, uh, about unearned praise. Um, and uh, So we want to be careful. We wanna just don't want to make this up and just flatter people inappropriately. Okay? But I think if there's a loving heart, it's the, 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 the fountain that flows from a loving heart when we can say, well done. You did a nice job on these kinds of things. Um, scripture, look this one up. It's kind of a fun one. Uh, when you're really in love, you have no problem uh, admiring and sharing. Okay? When you really love someone, when you deeply love someone, you'll have no problem praising them. Those are the first two facets of discipline, of discipleship. Okay? Training and praise. Training and praise. I'm going to tell you what to do, and when I see you do it, then we're going to encourage you by by commenting on it in a positive way. There is another aspect, however, at least a, a possibility of one, and that is the idea of correction. Okay? That's redirecting the walk. Christ did it. 
Um, there is the need sometimes after if correction doesn't work, then there needs to be a little bit of a rebuke. And we need to be careful about that because, again, we don't want to have uh, an acid tongue, but we may need to be a little bit more firm, a little more harsh, a little more direct. Rebuke. Okay? Um, and then finally, there is punishment slash restoration. Now, when I write it like that, there's, there's no space between those two words. you see that? That's, that's a combination. We do not punish for the sake of punishing. We do not punish to satisfy our own anger or our own frustration. If we're going to punish at all, and I already said it's a tiny, small aspect of discipline, if we're going to punish at all, it is always for the purpose of restoration. Okay, Inflicting a painful reminder of the wrong done for the sole purpose of bringing them to restoration. Example of Christ and so on. Okay. What do we need for discipleship to take place? And remember we said we start with evangelism. We start by going out and making disciples, teaching them the gospel, seeing them come to faith in Christ, seeing them baptized, and then begin the teaching, learning, practicing process, and then pass it on. But in order for us to be involved in that process, we, first of all, have to be disciplined ourselves. This is a lifetime experience. And, and what we're talking about is there's only so far that you can lead someone. And that's to the point of your own personal growth, your own personal development with God. If I can't lead you past this point and I still expect you to move forward, what do I have to do? I have to just kind of shove you out there because I'm not crossing that line. You're on your own. That is not a biblical model. That's inappropriate. What God is saying to us is that we always have to be growing and developing and uh, being more and more self-controlled, more and more disciplined as we uh, learn the things of Christ. Okay? There's some vision to discipleship. And that's what I'd like to present today is, is to catch these things. And I'll promise you that these are not new concepts. We've talked about these several times. But our series of three sermons was to refocus on discipleship. And again, with the gaps that we now have uh, exposed in the local church, this process is going to be more important than ever before. All right? We need more uh, discipleship than we ever have before. And so we're, we're emphasizing it right now. All right, the first aspect that I want to get at is this concept of bridging the gap. This one doesn't make much sense. It takes a little bit to explain. So try and follow me here. Every one of us needs to understand the expectations of a disciple. Can you, in a word or two, give me what the expectation of a disciple is? Get, throw some things out here. What would be the end goal of a disciple? To what? More disciples. Good. Thanks, Heidi. Someone else. Imitator of Christ. Okay. What? An imitator of Christ. To be like Christ. In fact, Paul writes it this way in another passage. 
till Christ is formed in you. He's there. Now it needs to be fleshed out. And so here's the end goal. When I'm done with discipling you, you are going to look just like Jesus. Cool? What's the problem? Huh? That, I like the way you put it. I'm glad you didn't say, it's impossible. Is it possible? Huge question. What's one of the barriers? Sin. Okay. Me. Right? I'm discipling you. One of your barriers is, I'm going to get in your way. I guess just got done saying, I can't, I can't lead you further than, than I am already. And if you don't see Christ-likeness in my life and I don't see it in, in the lives of people that are mentoring me, okay, well, what is the standard then of Christ-likeness? When you look like Jesus, what kind of a person are you? Blameless, okay, but more. He was blameless, but he was what? He was perfect. Now, here's the gap, all right? We've got to bridge the gap. Here is the standard. Here is where we are. And there's this incredible distance in between so that Mary Ellen says, is that possible? What's the answer? Thank you very much. She said, no, you said all things are possible with God. And both are absolutely right. Don't, don't record this one, Sam. That's gibberish. That's what we're talking about here. That's the gap. We need to see who Christ is and where we're going. We need to see who we are and how far we need to travel. And then we need to get on the job. The guys have told me that I can no longer say on the stick. So we need to get on the job. <laughs> okay. Um, where was I? Completely... <laughs> Bridging the gap, okay? We've got to work to close that gap. Impossible, yes, we're never going to get there, this side of glory, but we still move. And the reason I believe that God has put the standard so high is because if the standard was any lower, we'd maybe get there and quit. We'd get there and then get lazy. We'd get there and then think, wow, aren't we something? And we'd be patting ourselves on the back and break our arm doing it so that we were useless for the service of God. And so he says, okay, look, you need to have both concepts clearly in mind here. All right? The standard is absolute perfection. Christ-likeness. You're not there now. This side of heaven, you're not going to get there. But you still strive. Paul says, I press toward the mark. That's kind of a neat way of saying it, okay? I'm stretching. I'm growing. I'm grabbing. I'm doing whatever I can to get there. Christ-likeness, okay? Huge gap. But we need to get there. We need to work on it. Another vision of discipleship is a very unpleasant one. And that is the whole concept of accountability. Alright? Our culture has trained us well 
to be accountable to no one. Any examples that come to your mind of where that's taken place in our culture? What's that? Expand, Barb. I'm not understanding. That was a little painful. Right? Hmm. Okay, anything else come to your mind? Don't say anything bad about that, Tina. They'll put you in jail, girl. That's hate crimes. Where have we come? You, you hearing what we're saying? Our children. When I go into the schools, and I haven't done it for a couple of years now, but when I went into the public schools to observe our student teachers... I was absolutely stunned at the total disrespect coming from second graders, fourth graders, fifth graders toward anybody in authority. Stunning. Shocking. Disappointing. Okay? That's where our culture has gone. No accountability. You can't tell me what I can do or what I can't do and you can't challenge me when I don't do or do-do. Do-do, that's bad. All right. My father listens to these tapes afterwards and he always tells James, uh, I'm not sure that uh, Keith should have inserted that humor there. So it, it does, I am accountable. It does come home to catch me. All right. Accountability. What does that mean? Taryn, to whom are you accountable? You're kind of a free spirit, girl. <laughs> Mom and dad not around, right? 23, 4, whoo-hoo! Party time. To whom are you accountable? Oh. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And where would she be without that kind of guidance and without that kind of help? And I'm not saying you're a bad person. Well, you have a sin nature. (laughs) But without it, life, life is a tragedy. Folks, we have to have accountability. Jason and a few of us said yesterday, you know what? We're going to have a top five. A starting five. I didn't get it at first, but they explained to me that's a a basketball concept, okay? A starting five. Who are your starting five accountability partners? You thought about that? Chosen them? Who's the one that's going to keep their finger on your pulse and say, man, feeling a little wimpy lately? Who's the one that's going to pull your chain when you start going down the wrong path? Who are those people? Oh, I don't need that. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. It's part of the vision of discipleship. 
There's a lifestyle of commitment and service. I was shocked at how many of the songs we sing use the phrase, I'm going to give it all to you. Thought about that? We sing that just, boop. That just comes out of almost every song we sing. What's included in giving it all? And isn't it often that we sing, I give you all except... uh, or all but... uh, And we've got these little pockets... A lifestyle of commitment and service. There's also this responsibility to pass on the truth that I know and am practicing to pass that on to others. And at first blush, that's not so bad. We like to tell people what we know. We like. The problem is, when you're dealing with truth, most of the time, the reaction to truth is, I don't like what you're passing on. I don't like what you're giving me. And so it's very difficult. 2 Timothy 2.2 2 Timothy 2.2 2. And the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's at least three generations right there of Christianity. Alright? And the third generation needs to be planning another three generations, and so on and so on and so on. And in the body of Christ here at Great Adventure, we need to be at least three generations deep in our discipleship program. What does that mean? It means if I'm in the middle, I need to be being discipled. And folks, I'm telling you here, I personally, Philip Keith Leverance, need to be discipled. I need it. Okay? Generation one. Generation two. I need to be involved in the discipleship process. I need to have those that I am working with, that I'm training, that I'm challenging, correcting from time to time. And I need to be encouraging those people, that's the second generation, to have people that they too are discipling so that the three generations always are there. They always continue. Okay? You see the wisdom of that? This is a Spirit-empowered concept. The things which you've heard from me, first generation, in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, three generations deep. Do we have a three-generation deep process in place right now? Do you... Are you three generations deep in your discipleship? Because if you're a believer in Jesus, guess what? You're a follower. You're one of His own. And you're the one that He spoke to when He said, you go make disciples. We, we don't have an option in this. Um, 21st century Christianity in America is not concerned about discipleship. But 21st Christianity in Bangladesh, in Iran, in Egypt, in parts of Africa, 
You get my point? 21st century Christianity in those places is all about discipleship. Because sometimes they can't even speak out loud. They have to do it one-to-one. They have to pass it on in a private, closed way. And if they don't, they're the ones that are going to suffer. They're the ones that are going to die. Incredible concept. So we have to catch that part of the vision. Here's another thing. Investment. Investments. You need to invest the riches of Christ that you possess into the lives of other people. You need to invest the talents and gifts that God has given you into the lives of other people. You need to invest the time that God has given you into other people. You need to invest your money into the lives of other people. And the last one, that's not a uh, band. Isn't there a rock group named Blood, Sweat, and Tears? Something like that. Okay. This is the real thing. This is the real thing. And that's what discipleship's all about. I'm going to brag a little bit, okay? Like Paul says, forgive me. Forgive me. I've had calls at 2 a.m., at 4 a.m. from people that I was discipling that said, will you come over here? So-and-so just hit me in the face. And at 2 a.m., haul myself out of bed, get dressed, drive over, and stand there and tell that man, don't you ever lay your finger on that woman again. I'm going to be checking on a regular basis. If I need to, I'll spend the night. If I have to, and I've told some of you this same thing, I'll climb in bed and sleep between you so that you don't hit each other. It takes enormous amounts of time to disciple people. Are you willing? doesn't matter. You've got to do it. We have to make disciples. How about money? Somebody in the church is hurting. And this is where it's kind of exciting to be married to a woman who has the gift of giving. I'll say, what do you think, honey? Should we give them $100? She said, I was thinking three. <laughs> okay? We have to make that investment. Because what I have isn't mine. It belongs to Jesus. And he loaned it to me. He let me have it for a little while. But when there's a brother or sister in need, what does the Scripture say? If you close up your heart, what kind of a person are you? They've got a need and you can meet part of it. Man, we've got to do it. Just avoid marrying somebody like Betty because it will cost you three times what you think. All right? What about blood, sweat, and tears? Is that reality? I, haven't, I don't know anybody in this country who has shed blood to be a disciple, or a discipler, I should say. But I read about it all the time in countries around the world, and, and I've heard, you've heard me say it before, folks, it's coming here. We're not far away from shedding blood 
for the cause of Christ. Certainly sweat and a lot of tears. Because you know what? In the training process, people aren't, they're not opposed to accepting some quality training. You know, if you're willing to invest, they're not opposed to that. And what was the second aspect of discipleship? Praise? They're not opposed to getting some praise once in a while. Okay? What's the third one? Correction, Brad, I heard. Yeah? Correction, rebuke, and punishment. Where do you think the line is drawn between, yeah, I'm happy to have this and no more? Right after praise. And who in this room has never needed correction? That's not pleasant. And when you're discipling someone and you finally have to correct them or maybe even rebuke them or maybe even go so far as to say, I'm going to punish you so that you're restored in the direction that you're supposed to go, there's always tears involved. It hurts like crazy. Not just for them, but for you. I need to catch that vision. And the response of a heart is, man, I can't do that. I can't go there. And Jesus said, you have to go there. That's your job. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. Set the example. Set the example. You want your kids to be gentle men and gentle women? If you're not a gentle man or a gentle woman, it will only be by a miracle of the grace of God that your kids turn out to be one. All weekend long, what I heard from every speaker up there was that they came from a home where there was beating and cursing and, and uh, what do you call it when you leave somebody? Desertion. And each time that person said, but it was God's grace. God save me. Who was that music guy, Aaron? What was his name? Lincoln Brewster. Anybody know of Lincoln Brewster? You ever heard that name? Christian recording artist? Okay. Wow, he had a horrible upbringing. God stepped in and saved him. And so I'm not here to say that it won't happen apart from your example. Because God is gracious. But what a difference it makes when there's a dad around who's a gentle man. When there's a mom who has a gentle spirit. Not a wuss, not a pushover, but gentle. That, the word meek means strength under control. Gentle. Okay? I, we can go on and on, but we're out of time. Catch the vision. You have to be a trainer, a teacher. And look, in our culture, it's not hard. We've got every resource. Really, it's very simple. I just threw a few of them up there. But these are things that I've seen. There's some great study books out there. Um, Navigators has some good stuff. Uh, Dobson has some good stuff. Ethan, what was that one we just got? Ethan, your name is Aaron. What did we just get? Uh, 33. 33 or something, yeah. You can go online and look at it. Anyway, there's tons of stuff out there that you can use. And I would suggest get together with the elders, talk to one of them and say, hey, what what do you recommend? What do you think? This is the need. This is what I want to teach. What do you think? 
and, and we'll try and help you find some good stuff. DVDs. There's wonderful DVDs out there. CDs. Even YouTube. How many times have we used YouTube here in our discipleship um, for our prayer times and so on? Now, again, notice the little parentheses? Because there's some stuff on YouTube that you probably shouldn't try and disciple anybody with. But anyway, carefully, discreetly, choose your materials. Catch the vision. And you can do it. You can do it. In fact, you have to do it. We can do it one-to-one. We can do it in small groups. We can accomplish it in the meetings of the church. And let me be real careful about this one. Let's not think for a moment that we can do discipleship and not have that as a priority in our lives. Okay? Hebrews warns us, Hebrews 13, warns us that we must be involved in the gathering of the local church. Don't forsake the times when the church assembles together, the Scripture says. Get them training someone else. Now you've got your third generation. Okay? Keep in touch with the elders. There's going to be some successes. There's going to be some failures. We need to be all working together on this. We're the body. We're all in this together. And as we communicate with one another, we can actually help. Finally, we've got to pray. Pray, pray, pray like crazy. We'll end with this. Let's not forget the cost. The cost of discipleship. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told His disciples, if anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Now the cross Jesus referring to was a little gold cross that you can wear around your neck on a chain and you just hold it up like that. I'm following Jesus. Right? What was he talking about? The thing on the wall. Scott made that. Nice piece. Right? Just hang that up in your church. Carry your cross. Right? Nobody will agree with me today. What's going on? What's wrong with you people? Aaron, what was he talking about when he said, take up your cross? How much bigger? Death. Yeah. Yeah. Cross is all about death. There are Christians today in Iran who are being crucified because they won't refuse they refuse to give up the name of Christ. Shocking. There will be Christians in New York City who are crucified for following Jesus if the Lord tarries another 30 years. Won't happen in Dubuque, so you're safe. (laughs) Take up your cross. It ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. I'll leave you to read Matthew 10, 16-42. Clear, clear, clear expression by the lips of Jesus of what it's going to cost for you to do this thing of discipleship. 
But Father, we can't do it on our own and we can't not do it. And so for the sake of your Son and for the sake of the body of Christ, I pray that each one of us will take up the torch of discipleship in the next month, get it three generations deep and prayerfully and faithfully perform what a follower of Christ is expected to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.